Volume Three, Chapter Twenty of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Three, Chapter Twenty. It was past midday when a loud peal at the bell of Ivy Lodge startled the women in the kitchen. Polly ran to the front door to open it. There stood her master, who pushed quickly into the house past her. "'Is your mistress come back?' he asked, almost breathlessly. "'No, sir. Oh, mercy me, what's the matter? What has happened?' she cried, for his face showed undisguised terror and agitation. He sat down in the dining-room and asked for a glass of wine. Having drunk it at a gulp, he said, "'I cannot understand it. I have been nearly to Whitford along the meadow-path. I didn't try the other way, but then she would not have wandered toward Duckwell, surely.' then i crossed the fields and came back by the road looking everywhere and asking every one i met nothing to be seen of her your mistress's manner has been so strange of late you must have noticed it i-i am afraid i cannot help being afraid that some terrible thing has happened to her i have had a dreadful weight and presentiment on my mind all the morning where can she be oh no no sir never fear she'll be all safe somewheres or other she'll just have gone wandering on into the town she have been strange in her ways poor thing and we couldn't but see it sir but she can't have come to no harm there's nothing to hurt her hereabout thus honest polly consolingly but she was infected too by the terror in her master's white face you don't know he said tremulously what reason i have for uneasiness he drew out from his pocket-book a torn scrap of paper with some writing on it i found this on the floor by her desk this morning this is what alarmed me so before i went out but i wouldn't say anything about it then polly stared at the paper with eager curiosity but the sharp slanting writing puzzled her eyes never quite at their ease with the alphabet in any shape is it missus's writing she asked yes see she talks of being so wretched why god knows her mind has been quite unhinged that is the only explanation and you see she says it will not be long before this misery is at an end i cannot live on as i am living i will not lord her mercy upon us ejaculated the woman on whom the full force of her master's anxiety and alarm suddenly broke her round ruddy cheeks grew almost as white as his and lydia who had been peeping and listening at the door burst out crying and began uttering a series of incoherent phrases hold your noise said polly roughly there's troubles enough without you now look ye here sir i'll put on my bonnet and go right down into whitford you take a look along whit meadow up duckwell way i bet ten pounds she's there somewheres about she is taken into going about through the fields hasn't she lydia oh hold your noise and try to do something to help you whimpering fool polly's violent excitement and trepidation took a practical form whilst the other woman was utterly helpless she was bidden to stay at home and receive missus and tell her that master was coming back and beg her to bide still in the house until he should return but i'm afraid she'll never come back sobbed lydia i'm so frightened to stop here by myself oh you great silly haven't you got no feeling for the poor husband he looks scared well nigh to death poor lad and as for you it ain't much you care what's become of missus you never had a good word for her you're only crying because you're a coward meanwhile algernon sat in the little dining-room with a strange sensation as if every muscle in his body had been turned into lead he must get up and go out as the woman had said he must but there he sat with that sensation of marvellous weight holding him down in his chair the house was absolutely still lydia unable to remain alone in the kitchen had gone to stand at the front door and stare up and down the road thus she heard nothing of footsteps approaching the house at the back coming hurriedly through the garden and pausing at the threshold of the door which was open 
presently after some muttered conversation in which two or three voices took part a man entered the house and came along the passage looking as he went into the kitchen and finding no one just as he reached the door of the dining-room algernon came out and confronted him there's been an accident sir i'm sorry to say said the man the alarm was given up our way about an hour and a half ago somebody's fallen into the wit i'm very sorry sir but i'm afraid you must prepare for bad news whilst he was speaking the house had filled with an ever-gathering crowd people stood in the passage peeping over each other's shoulders and pushing to get a glimpse of algernon there were even faces pressed to the windows outside and the garden was blocked up polly had come hurrying back from the town and now elbowed her way through the crowd to her master she soon cleared the passage of the throng of idlers who blocked it up and shut them outside the door by main force they still swarmed about the house and garden both on the side of the road and on that of whitmeadow and their numbers increased every minute polly pulled the man who had been spokesman into the dining-room and bade him say what he had to say without further preamble it's no use preparing him she said pointing to algernon who had sunk into a chair and was holding his forehead with his hands you'll only make it worse i'm afraid you can't tell him anything dreadfuller than he's got into his head already speak out thus requested the man a carpenter of pudcombe village told his tale some men working in the fields about a mile above whitford half a mile perhaps from ivy lodge had heard cries for help from the meadows near the river he the carpenter happened to be passing along a field-path from a farmhouse where he had been at work and ran with the labourers down to the water's edge there they saw david powell the methodist preacher wildly shouting for help and with clothes dripping wet he had waded waist-deep into the wit to try to save some one who was drowning there but in vain he could not swim and the current had carried the drowning person out of his reach you know said the carpenter there are some ugly swirls and currents in the wit for all it looks so sluggish a boat had been got out and manned and had made all speed in the direction powell pointed out he insisted on accompanying them in his wet clothes they searched the river for some time in vain they had got as far as duckwell reach when they caught sight of a dark object close in shore it was the form of a woman her clothes had caught in the broken stump of an old willow that grew half in the water and she was thus held there swinging to and fro with the current she was taken out and carried to duckwell farm where every effort had been made to restore her to consciousness powell understood the best methods to employ the seth maxfields had done everything in their power but it was no use she had never moved nor breathed nor quivered an eyelash that was the substance of the carpenter's story is she dead asked algernon with his face hidden they were the first words he had spoken and when the man answered with a mournful but positive yes quite quite dead he said not a syllable further but turned away from them and buried his head in the cushions of the chair he hasn't even asked who the woman was whispered the carpenter to polly the tears were streaming down the woman's cheeks castalia had not made herself beloved in her own house but polly had felt the sort of regard for her which grows by acts of kindness and forbearance and compassion performed she shook her head and answered in an equally low voice no need for him to ask poor young fellow we've all been fearing something dreadful about missus all morning and he had his reasons for being afraid as she had gone and done something desperate what you don't mean that she made away with herself said the carpenter raising his hands oh that's more than you and i know best say nothing how can we judge poor soul well i always did feel sorry for her and that i'll say though mind you i'm sorry for him too but there's some folks as can't stroke the dog without kicking the cat 
the news spread rapidly through whitford and caused the utmost excitement there mrs algernon errington had been found drowned in the wit how whether by accident or design no one knew but that did not prevent people from hazarding a thousand conjectures she had wandered out alone had ventured too near the edge of the slippery bank and had lost her footing she had been robbed and thrown into the river she had committed suicide from ungovernable jealousy she had committed suicide in a fit of insanity she had become a hypochondriac she had gone raving mad she had committed various frauds at the post-office and had killed herself in terror at the prospect of their coming to light this latter hypothesis found much credence so many circumstances trifling perhaps in themselves but important when massed together seemed to corroborate it and then if that did not seem an adequate motive for the desperate deed castalia's notorious and passionate jealousy was thrown in as a make-weight there would be a coroner's inquest of course and the chief witness at it would probably be david powell it appeared he was the last person who had seen the unfortunate woman alive mrs thimbleby was in terrible affliction mr powell was very ill he had plunged into the ice-cold river and had then remained for hours in his wet clothes he had not been able to walk back from duckwell farm and farmer maxfield had brought him home himself in his spring-cart and had bidden widow thimbleby look after him a little for he maxfield thought the preacher in a very bad way he was seized with violent fits of shivering and the doctor whom mrs thimbleby sent for to see him on her own responsibility told them to get him into bed at once to keep him warm and to administer certain remedies which he ordered but no word would powell speak about his ailments to the doctor or to any one else he waved off all questions with a determined though gentle resolution he allowed himself to be helped into bed being absolutely unable to stand or walk without assistance and he did not refuse the warm clothing which the widow heaped upon him he lay still and passive but he would say no word of his symptoms and sensations to the doctor the man can in no wise help me he said to mrs thimbleby all the wisdom of this world is foolishness to one whom the lord has laid his hands on i am bowed as a reed yes i am broken his voice was hoarse and feeble and his eyes blazed with a feverish light the widow found it vain to importune him to swallow the medicines that had been sent in her heart she had some misgivings that it might be wrong to interfere in the dealings of providence with so holy a man by administering drugs to him but the misgivings never reached a point of conviction that might have comforted her i'll leave you quiet a while mr powell she said maybe you'll sleep and that would do you more good than anything sleep is god's own cure for many troubles isn't it he looked at her with a wild unrecognizing stare when i say my bed shall comfort me my couch shall ease my complaint then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions he murmured the good woman softly went away wiping the tears from her eyes one thing is a mercy said the poor soul to herself and that is that mr diamond is so kind and thoughtful he gives no trouble and is a help on the contrary and i'm sure i don't know how we should have managed without his arm to help mr powell upstairs and another thing is a mercy i hope it isn't wrong to feel it so that mrs errington is out of the house i do not know how i should have been strengthened to keep up and attend upon her and she in such a way poor thing the lord has had pity on us for mr powell's sake minnie bodkin had driven to mrs thimbleby's house early in the afternoon and taken mrs errington away with her mrs errington had rushed to ivy lodge under the first shock of the terrible news which mr smith the surgeon communicated to her she had seen her son for a few minutes 
her intention had been to remain with him but this he would not allow he had insisted on his mother's returning to her own lodgings after a very brief interview with him no wonder he can't bear to have her about though she is his mother tiresome old thing exclaimed lydia peevishly but if algernon got rid of his mother as quickly as possible he refused to admit any one else at all and remained shut up in the dining-room whither he had had the sofa carried meaning to sleep there he had been so obliged to receive seth maxfield who came to ask when and how he would wish his wife's body conveyed from duckwell farm to whitford can't she stay there he had asked in a dazed sort of manner then added quickly turning away his head i'll leave it all to you you've been very good you've done everything for the best i am sure and he put out his hand to the farmer with his face still turned away and later on he had had to see some officials about the inquest but after that was over he locked his door and refused to open it except to polly when she brought him food he ate almost ravenously drank a great deal of wine and then lay down and dozed away the hours until dawn the next day End of chapter twenty